It is 5 o'clock somewhere, and you've tuned in to Season 2, Episode 11 of BRC. For those of you who'd like to watch this episode, I highly recommend it. We're live and in person on the Emerald Isle. You can view Season 2 on our website, YouTube, and Spotify. I'm Carrie Moynihan, and in today's Tales from the Still segment, we visit Glendalock Distillery, where I meet up with Geraldine Cavanaugh, who shares how her love for plants and nature led her to becoming the forager for Glendalock's gin. Then later in the show, we'll speak to distiller Rowdy Rooney, who shares his spirit's journey and how a little bit of something near and dear to his heart is in every bottle of one of their expressions. Stay with us. Today's Tales from the Still is brought to you by BWJamesJewelers.com. Show your love for bourbon everywhere you go. BourbonBarrelRings.com by B.W. James has some of the most unique bourbon barrel wedding bands, rings, and bracelets that you'll ever find. B.W. James has an exclusive offer for our audience. Use promo code BARRELROOM for $30 off your order of $199 or more. Well, hello, Geraldine. How are you? Hi, Carrie. I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. So I spoke to Donald um, last year, I think, and he went through um, all the whiskeys that we can get in America and the poutine, mm-hmm. and I got to taste them. Then I saw him again at uh, Tales of the Cocktail. He gave me these great socks. Like, mm-hmm. I can't show you. Um, and then I told him I was coming out here, and I wanted to learn more about your gin, because your gin fascinates me. He told me a little bit about it um, during my first interview, and he raved about you and how you go foraging and pick all the stuff and make all this fun botanicals. And the two gins that I tried that he sent me before were fantastic. But then I get here, and I see you have four that I cannot get at home. Mm-hmm. So I would love to talk about these, too. So tell me. Um, I usually start off with... Uh, your whiskey journey, mm-hmm. but in your case, let's go with your spirits journey. When you were a wee little lass, did you ever see yourself making gin at a distillery with, with these boys? No, <laughs> I didn't. No. Yeah, so um, I suppose when I was a child, when I was a little girl, I was a very outdoor type of child and uh, spent my childhood outside in the Garden of Ireland, where we are now, County Wicklow, okay. south of Dublin, but completely remote from the city, very rural, beautiful mountains, the seashore and every kind of habitat you can think of. So when I was a child, it was the 70s and the 80s, so we were allowed to just roam freely. And uh, yeah, (laughs) nobody really cared where you were, you know, just come back when you're hungry. And so I had a great childhood roaming County Wicklow. So that kind of is how I ended up in the position I'm in now. I, for some reason, was always drawn to plants and um, was always just looking at flowers and just enjoying being with, with, with nature, being with flowers. And as I got older, I started to learn the names of plants and then older still, I started to learn their different uses and became very interested in, in, in what, what there was to eat in the wild. Because for many, many generations, people didn't really eat wild food anymore. Although all of our ancestors lived exclusively yeah. on wild food. So as I got older, I thought it was, a, it was a great loss of, of knowledge. So very slowly and on my own, I started to just teach myself about what was edible, what was poisonous, <laughs> you know, how to, how to identify each plant, um, what it was going to taste like. So it was just really a hobby. And, uh, and I think in 2011, when my three children were small, um, I, I wanted to be at home with the children but I needed to work as well so I thought about starting teaching wild food foraging so I started teaching that about 11 years ago 
and it wasn't really a big thing at the time, but um, slowly over the years it's become much more popular. And so I started teaching, taking people out on tours. I started my own little food business. I had a market stall selling wild mushrooms and oh, wow. all sorts of soups and cordials and jams and cakes and all sorts of things, but everything had wild, at least one, if not many, wild ingredients. So in 2014, one of the journalists from our, one of our biggest national newspapers, the Irish Times, um, asked if she could come out on one of my walks. And um, we had a fabulous day and I got a two page spread in a very oh. big newspaper for free. Fantastic. And, um, Gary McLaughlin, one of the founders of Glendalough, uh, was reading the newspaper that day, that Saturday. And at Glendalough, they had just uh, bought a new still that was going to be exclusively exclusively for gin because you can't have gin and whiskey stills crossing over. And the guys had distilled a few batches of gin, but they were thinking about making a gin with a sense of terroir, you know, because Wicklow is a very special place. Right. And they hadn't really come up with a solution. How, how can we put Wicklow into this gin? And then Gary said he was reading about me. He said, that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll, we'll put wild plants in the gin. So... They called me up the following Monday and in, in a couple of weeks we were out, um, we just went out foraging and the guys uh, told me what they kind of, they had come up with a good base recipe, you know, a good balance of juniper, coriander, orris, you know, the things that most people the would regular, use. Yeah. Regular stuff. yeah, so they had a nice base recipe. So I said, send me your recipe and um, we'll... I'll think about what there is out there in the wild that's going to work well with that and what kind of quantities I'd, I'd need to use compared with, say, how much juniper you're using. So we all just went out foraging. We uh, went all over the place <laughs> and we had a really nice day. I hadn't met them before. And then uh, they went back to the distillery. And then a couple of day, days later, we spoke and uh, I was like, so how, how did the gin turn out? And they were like, oh, my God, it's so good. And we were all really happy. <laughs> and then as I started thinking and I thought, well, there is a slight problem because everything that we've put into this gin is going to be gone soon because that's how wild food is. You cannot go and buy it in the shops. Right. It's very seasonal. You're excited all year because there's something new coming and something else is going and you're always trying to preserve it. So I said to the guys, we can only make this lovely gin that we've created for just another few weeks. So uh, I think it was particularly Gary had this idea, well, maybe we could do seasonal gins, um, like this could be maybe a summer gin and could we do an autumn gin and a winter gin? And I was like, yeah, probably. <laughs> so, you know, we had to come up with recipes in the wintertime before, because um, even if you want to create a recipe in November, you don't have the ingredients. Right. So you sometimes you have to just use your imagination and think of different flavours that will work together. So that was in 2014. We made um, our summer gin and I think the following year then and for two years we made spring, summer, autumn and winter and that was incredibly unusual because every single batch we made was slightly different. Uh, there, yeah, every every season the recipe was different and each, 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 each season was inspired by what is available at that particular time. Let me back you up just a little bit before we get into too much of the gin. Um, so when they called you up on that Monday and said, hey, we were reading about you in the paper, did, was the foraging chip, uh, trip just to go see like what they could do or were they offering the job right up front? Oh, the job didn't happen for a long time. It was all, <laughs> it was all <clears throat> kind of, I don't know. So we were just kind of helping them out just yeah. because. I mean, after I spoke to them the first time, I was like, I don't even know how gin's made. And I've just like agreed to help to make gin. It's like, um, you know, sure, I'll see how it goes. I didn't think it was going to really 
come to anything. It and was just like someone just asked me to do something random, and I thought, yeah, sure. And I'll when you came try. in to the distillery, did you see Rowdy and start helping him or just watching him? Or Rowdy hadn't started just then. He okay. started shortly afterwards. At the time, the guys had... Um, had were all actually working full time. Uh, they had, they were both. They were all working in in jobs and had young families, or, or actually didn't even have young families. They were all probably recently married, right. and they but they wanted to branch out on their own. They wanted to revive craft spirits, so they were uh, selling whiskey and pochin, but they nobody was working full time in the company. Um, so. Yeah, it was... Okay, so you started... How long were you helping them out before you became the the foraging employee? Probably like a year or oh, something. Wow. Yeah, we that were... That nice of you. Yeah, well, I was doing my own work as well, and it was... We were trying something very new, and, um, yeah, we didn't really know. I had no idea it was going to be so big. Like the first year, we only made 2,000 bottles of gin. Wow. But because we were doing everything in such a different way, um, every single batch was slightly different. We were using what was available locally, seasonally. We were bottling here. We were handwriting the date of foraging, the date of distillation. We were hand waxing and, you know, dipping the lids nice. in wax. It was was very... You couldn't be more craft than we were. Right. We have scaled back slightly on some of that because we wouldn't get anything done, yeah. you know. But um, yeah, we started off very small, and I, personally, I had no idea that I'd be um, that it would have grown to be a gin that's on sale in forty-five or more countries in the world, yeah. you know. Well, I, as I was saying before, I have had these two, mm -hmm. but it's been a while. Yep. Um, out of well, I know these are special. So out of these two, which one is your favorite? <laughs> That's a difficult question. Well, I think maybe this one because I think because it's, there's a phenomenal amount of work put into picking all of the botanicals. And this one is made over an entire foraging year, which is not 12 months. It's more like nine months. Okay. But like I, I like would, the school year. Yeah, yeah. I would find it hard to even to buy another gin because because I picked so I picked so many different things and put so many hours into the gin to bring here to the distillery. Do you think that um, taking this job has ruined you for other gins? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. All right. Well, let's taste this one. Yeah. So should I tell you a little bit about this oh, yeah. wild botanical? So. When we started making the gins, we were doing seasonal gins. We did those for two years. We won lots of awards. People were talking about us all over the world because of this very strange way we were making gins. And the, the gin craze hadn't happened. And also the idea of using lo local botanicals was quite rare. I don't know if anyone was doing it at the time. Okay. So we were very unusual. And I think we inspired a lot of people across the world. So we did that for, for two years. We did the four seasonal gins and then People might call up and say, I really want to get the spring gin. And we'd say, oh, we're really sorry, We've, we can't it's make it. And uh, we'll have it next year. And then, you know, uh, a really nice bar might have a lovely cocktail menu. And they'd call us up and say, can we get more summer gin? And again, we'd say, we can't do it till next year. So everyone asked us, would you make um, a Glendalock gin, a gin that's available all year round? So myself and Rowdy and the guys spent a long time trying to come up with an idea of um, an all year round gin and, and also to think how, how can you make it using ingredients that are changing constantly. Right. So 
it took us a long time. Um, what we wanted to do was express the four seasons in one sip. Yeah. That took a long time. I bet. But I can still remember the day. Probably 12 months worth. Nine months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was nine months. And I can still remember the day tasting this and going, oh my God, we did it. We all were like, oh, it's got... It's got spring on the nose. It's got, when you taste it first on your tongue, you're getting the floral notes of summer. Then you're getting the lovely fruits of autumn and the lovely kind of unusual fruits and spiciness of winter. Nice. So it took a long time, but we, we all knew when we had arrived at that moment. All right, well, so let's, let's yeah. have some here. Yep. So I think, oh yeah, here, I don't need to. Yeah. All right. Let's launch it. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, so... What, you sh what, what you're smelling on the nose is, is plants that are collected in springtime. Okay. So pine and fir and sorrel, which is a, a kind of a, a citrusy green leaf. Yeah, that, I'm getting all of that. Yeah, so if you were standing in Glendalough at the lake in springtime, these are the kind of things you're going to smell. The fresh, you can kind of get a smell of, of green, of things growing. So that's the, the nose. And then if you taste it. Mm. <laughs> you, that bravo that yeah. does have all the seasons yeah so the first thing you're going to taste mm. is floral notes because we pick a lot of elderflower uh, wild roses honeysuckle meadow sweet ladies bed straw they're all beautiful Ooh, what's wild. ladies bed straw ladies bed straw is a little yellow flower that has a, it would be hard for me to describe the flavor of ladies bed straw which is used in cheese making it's almost unknown um it's not used anymore, but I literally can't think of a way to describe the flavor for right now. But it's a lovely, it's, it's a, there's a whole kaleidoscope of different flowers from, from summer that okay. are all put together. And then there's a lot of fruit as well. So we used wild blueberries that we call frockens. They grow in the mountains in autumn. Frockens? Yep, frockens. Why, yep. why is it frockens? Well, it's from the Irish, which is frechon, okay. which means something that comes out of the heather. Frech is heather. Okay. So the frockens grow where the heather grows. So in autumn, in August, the mountains basically change colour because the heather has come out. Oh, that's and great. Yeah, the, that's, that, those frockens are kind of... I love that word. Yeah, it's frockens. <laughs> it is an unusual one because it comes from the Irish. Um, so we use those wild blueberries blackberries, apples, raspberries. So lots and lots of fruit of autumn. And then more unusual fruits that come at the end of the season and herbs and the little kind of spiciness comes from some of the yeah, base ingredients I, we use. So. I get the, the yeah. finish is definitely mm. nice little wintry mm. spice. Oh, that's delicious. You should be very proud. That's I great. Am. We are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to skip this one because I hear it has something special for Rowdy. This is Rowdy's So this is Rowdy's creation. baby. Yeah. Um, but it's I would love to, to taste the seasons. Yeah. Because that's what started it all, really. Yeah. So would you like to start with spring? Sure. Let's yeah. go with spring. Okay. So. Oh, no. Spring is over here now. Oh, we moved them. We moved them. Oh. Spring. Spring starts in, in oh, April, wow. really in terms of foraging. So we have this lovely yellow flower that covers the whole countryside in April. It's called gorse flower. Okay. And it smells a bit like vanilla or coconut. And it's, a really, it's a very soft. Mm. So the spring, the spring gin is really reflecting spring in County Wicklow with this beautiful yellow gorse flower that you can see everywhere. And then again, 
new shoots of pine, fir, spruce, sorrel. I have some of the botanicals in a basket if you want to actually see them. Oh, right, yes. Can. So, so here we have, this is Douglas fir. So if you just take it in your hands and just crush it gently, because I don't think you want to eat it. Um, that's one of the, the botanicals that's, that comes out in the springtime. I feel like your Douglas firs are a little bit more green than our Douglas firs. I'm sure they are. We don't have a lot of green in California. No. Yeah, so that has lovely citrusy notes oh, in yeah. spring. In spring, it's like a lime or a lemon. And then as the season goes on, the essential oils get more concentrated and it becomes oh, more I like an orange that. or a grapefruit. Yeah. So that's actually in all of our gins, but it's, it's one of the first things that you taste and smell and it changes with the seasons as well. So we use that. And then in the spring gin and the summer gin and the wild botanical gin and the rose gin, we use this wild mint that only grows in, in water or near water. So I go to... Oh, that smells like water. <laughs> I mean, if it you, smells like outside. Yeah, if you would just rub your hands gently with that as well, it'll release the oils. It's an incredibly pungent mint. I love it. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so that, that grows in the water. We have a special place called Mint Island where I go to harvest that every year. That's well. so good. I'm okay with breaking the fourth wall. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's wow. That, that, that's okay. in our rose gin, wild botanical gin, spring gin. Will I show you another one or two? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, is it whatever's? Let's go yeah. one by. So we're sure. we did this. What's and we got the summer gin. We got we, they, these are all in spring. Okay. Yeah. The difference between these two mm. is drastic. Yeah. But good drastic. Yeah. Like I can definitely see drinking this all year and I can definitely see drinking this only in the spring. Yeah, because they're just because they're, you know, part of a season, it doesn't mean you can't drink them other times of the year. They're, no, but I could totally yeah. see just, you know, sitting out and watching the butterflies go mm. by and the birds and mm. the sun. Mm. Okay. So, so these these four seasonal gins aren't available outside Ireland because we only make small batches so the only way you can get them is if you come here so that means y'all you need to come to <laughs> Ireland during whichever your favorite season is and uh, come get come get a bottle here in Ireland okay so now the summer gin what's in the summer gin so summer gin is is has a lot of elderflower oh. do you know elderflower I do yeah I can smell the elderflower yeah has a lot of elderflower wow. wild roses honeysuckle meadow sweet, wild raspberries, and then of course it has juniper and coriander, it has water mint. So it has, it's, 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 it's harvested in a time of abundance when all the flowers are out, all the greens are out. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow. Mm. You did it again. Summer in a mouthful. <laughs> uh, mm. Yeah, I could totally see this sitting on the shore. Yeah. Getting a tan. Yeah. Not in Ireland. <laughs> well, they all taste the same, yet they all taste drastically different at the same time. I just yeah, love so it. Yeah, so what we try to do is have a similar kind of base recipe that even though they're all slightly different, you still know it's a Glendalough gin that you're tasting. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, so what's in the autumn gin? So autumn, the hedgerows are full of fruit. Thank you. 
So the hedgerows are full of fruit in autumn. So we have... Oh, yeah, that's very fruity. I have those. some here. I have some of them here. Do you know rose hips? No. Yeah, so they're the fruit of the rose. You can't just eat There's them. There's a fruit on the rose? We don't have fruits on our roses. We have thorns on our roses. You do have fruits, yeah. <laughs> they come a little later. So if you don't pick the flowers... We have very badly genetically engineered plants. <laughs> oh, you'll just have to move here. <laughs> I'm trying. Anyone wants to hire me? Oh, I'm right here. So rose hips are the most beautiful fruity flavor. They're full of vitamin C. They grow in the hedgerows. They'd be one of... I can't, Can I eat it just like this? No. No. Because you can't eat the seeds inside. Oh. Are yeah. they poisonous? No, they... You just don't swallow them. Oh. Yeah, but... They'll, the, they'll never leave... Like gum, if you swallow gum, you know, it'll just stay in your body forever. They're just not nice to eat, so... We, we make syrups and wines and things and jellies and things, but we don't use the seeds. It's just I've that they're, they're scratchy. Before. Yeah, well, that's probably probably baby thorns. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, so I I can't show you all of the botanicals that we use in autumn because they're not some of them are gone now like the blackberries have finished. We use a lot of blackberries. We do use I've seen those before though. So that's You have. Good. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not so, of course, cuz half the stuff you're talking about I've never heard of. Yeah. So. So lots of of lovely wet late uh late summer herbs, um the wild blueberries, heather, this flower I told you about that changes the colour of the mountains, that's in the autumn gin as well. Uh, that tastes like honey and smells like honey. So when you're driving in the mountains or walking in the mountains in August, you get a smell that's just like honey. Yeah. And they're covered in bees. So I do get bee stings when I'm picking those. Ooh, no, all, there are always bees. Do you go out on one of those bee suits? With the, no. No. Maybe no. you should. No, I don't mind a bee sting. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. good thing you're not allergic. I know. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to try it. Yeah. Oh, that's really smooth. Mm. It's a lot of people's favorite. Oh, that's really good. The fruitiness. There's so much fruit, so much apples. This is and... my favorite season, so mm. it would be appropriate if it were my favorite. We'll yeah. see. I have, have to go to winter, which is my second favorite season because I'm a, a snow skier. Oh, cool. <laughs> and, you know, we don't get a lot of rain in California. No. So. Like, our winter is what we've been having here. Yeah. Which has been... Lovely, because I miss it. Mm. We've been having 100-plus degree weather at my house. And I hear. Like, how soon are we going to Ireland? I need to get some colder weather. Oh. So what's all in this one? So this is, we're still on autumn. So rose hips, crab apples, blackberries, the wild blueberries, heather, watermint, fir, juniper, coriander, oris, angelica, licorice. <laughs> And I've probably forgotten one or two. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, this is getting harder and harder to pick a favorite. I know. <laughs> so, okay, here's winter. Last but not least is winter. So winter was more of a challenging drink for us, gin for us it to make. It smells like snow. Okay. You're like, okay, crazy. <laughs> no, this smells like when I'm in the mountains at Lake Tahoe. Mm. So we have in this, this was a more challenging one to make because there isn't a lot to forage. There are things like these um, slows. Okay. Do you know slows? Uh, like uh, as slow gin? Yeah. yeah. You can taste one if you like, but uh, we'll, yeah. we'll leave it for a minute. Okay. Because it's a bit of a, a, bit of a, a strong flavor. But we, we also use these little wild apples called crab apples, crab apples. which add lovely fruitiness. Um, a friend of mine has a tree that grows those and... Um, they get everywhere. They do. They cover the ground. Yeah. Which is lucky. You don't have to climb the trees to pick them. No. Yeah. So these are haws. 
These grow on the hawthorn tree. Oh, okay. And they're like a, they taste a bit like a, a red apple. I don't know if you have red and green apples. Yeah, That's we, do. What we have. And so if you have a really ripe red apple, but without the sugariness. So it's a, again, it's, they're unusual fruits at that time of year. The sloes are quite tannic. Okay. So we have sloes and we also have fir and spruce and pine, things like that, that, that we associate. That's what, I think that's why I'm saying it smells like snow because yeah. when I smell this, I'm in the snow because yeah. it doesn't snow where I live. So this is kind of these. We, we these are the flavors that people think of at Christmas time. Mm -hmm. This is like you could you could use this as a Christmas tree, and then you could put it in the still afterwards. And <laughs> that's the best way to recycle. Oh your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop your tree in the yeah. still. Pop yeah. your tree in the still and yeah. make it into something else everlasting. Yeah, and then we also add a little bit of spice to that. So there's a nice spicy finish on this winter gin. So we added a tiny bit of clove. Okay, clove, I'm getting that, yeah. Yeah, clove is something that we like to have, you know, in a hot whiskey right. in the winter time. Okay. We also used caraway seed. Did okay. Car yeah, so caraway right seeds, caraway. it's not a native spice or anything like that. For some reason, it's quite common in Irish cookery. In wintertime, people would make caraway seed bread and cakes and things like that. And it's a lovely warming spice. Yeah. And Chef there's Louise Leonard, who um, does guest appearances on the show all the time and does uh, pairings and, and recipes, hmm. she uses caraway seeds. She introduced it to me. I had no idea yeah. what they were. And then, yeah, so she talks about that. Yeah, nobody really knows why they're so popular here, but they're, they're very popular years ago in, in baking. So they add a lovely warm spiciness to that gin. And also cinnamon and maybe nutmeg as well so just to add a little bit of warmth to the winter gin that's oh, all that's right what, um let's let's do this again winner winner i love the finish on that yeah yeah i have no idea i understand why you don't have a favorite it's too hard yeah yeah different one every day <laughs> okay i'm gonna try to pick a favorite hold on Okay, oddly enough, my well, not oddly enough, I guess my favorite two seasons are my favorite two seasons. Okay, yeah. I can't pick between these two, mm. and these are also lovely. But what I really love about these these uh, gins is that you really have captured the season because mm. every sip I take, I can see myself in that season enjoying a dram mm. right out there in in the wild Good. with these it's they're fantastic lovely it's great here it's it's wonderful to to meet somebody who makes a gin that i like every single one yeah so <laughs> i mean some gins uh, um this is fantastic these are you've knocked it out of the park geraldine fantastic well i can't take all the credit that's only the foraging so <clears throat> so what happens after you forage these wonderful things you bring it over to rowdy and he he does, yep. does some distilling yeah so what we do because we started out uh, i went out foraging with the guys we picked fresh botanicals we brought them we put them in the stills so we started out using fresh botanicals so we had to continue that way because once you know the flavors you can get from fresh ingredients like if you use a fresh herb or a dried herb, it's a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. So we had to continue on doing it that way because it's just so good. So what I do is I get up early enough and get out foraging for the day, forage everything into baskets because they keep the produce nice and fresh, the botanicals nice and fresh, nothing sweats in there. That looks good. And, well, it's also very nice to hold as well because right. they have nice handles yep. and they're... 
they're just lovely to work with. They're all made with willow. Um, so I pick, pick botanicals all day and then I get to the distillery about four or five in the evening. Rowdy will just have finished distilling the previous batch and he will have the still filled with the alcohol, the juniper, the base, in, base botanicals. The still is filled and then we'll put them into the still. They'll be left to macerate overnight and then they'll be very carefully and slowly distilled the following day by Rowdy. So Rowdy will tell you about how he how he captures the flavours of all of these because the distillation is as important as right. the foraging. You know, right. you've, you've got to do it in a particular way. It's not um, automatic. It's right. a very sensory way Rowdy has of distilling. So, This is fantastic. I can't wait to talk to him to see how he finishes this project because these are all fantastic. Again, I love this one and I can totally see drinking this one all year round. In fact, I, I did drink it all year round <laughs> until it was gone. Um, and this i got to find myself a bottle before I leave the country. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Great. Thank you so much, Geraldine. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. Don't touch that device. We'll be right back with Rowdy Rooney. My name is Geraldine Cavanagh, and I am the full-time forager at Glendalough Distillery. My job is to pick the botanicals and to put that essence of Glendalough into the bottle. The inspiration for the flavours comes from Glendalough. From what you might smell and taste and see, the ingredients that we use grow in the wild. It's a collection of botanicals that just really grow here. It's a very Irish gin. It has a sense of place and its place is Glendalough. Glendalough Irish Gin. A place in time. Good afternoon, Rowdy. Good afternoon, Kerry. Lovely I'm to meet you. I'm so glad you could take time to, uh, from your distilling to come up here and, and chat with us. My pleasure. Welcome to Glendalough Distillery. Thank you. So I just had a bunch of these wonderful gins with Geraldine. And these two are my favorite. I can't figure out out of this range which two. I mean, I love all of them. And I could see myself drinking all of them at each time. But I Yeah, they're all quite distinct, I, yes, aren't they? Yeah. So out of these four, which are your favorite? Which is your favorite? Ah. Most likely I'll go for autumn, autumn, or fall as you guys would call it, but yeah. I like um, autumn. It's yeah, pretty. autumn is, uh, it's also a wonderful time of year. Yeah, it's my favorite season. So, um, before we get started on the gins, let's talk about your spirits journey. When you were a wee little lad, did you expect one day to be working at a distillery making gin and all these other fabulous expressions that Glendalough has to offer? God, I'd love to say it was my lifelong ambition, um, however that would be a big lie. <laughs> it was uh, yeah, a matter of uh, sliding doors, I suppose, I, uh, I had bailed out of the rat race at my... Uh, when I, I was 40. Um, I know it's hard to believe uh, that I'm even that now. I was going to say, you look just 40 and a half. Um, yeah, no, I bailed out of the rat race. I, I, I worked in telecoms and I was, um, you know, I was just tired of it. I'd had enough. It was quite a stressful environment and I was uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And um, quite good friends with, lifelong friends with uh, Kevin Keenan, one of the founders, of, one of the four or five founders of Glendalough. Um, and they were 
they were busy. I was I was in awe at uh, looking at what they were doing. They were uh, they were all still working full time jobs, and they had started off uh, this this uh, vision that they had of uh, founding a, a, an Irish whiskey and, and gin company. Um, I really was in awe of um, what they were doing and how passionate they were about it. That it was like. They were so into it. I, I, I remember looking at them, thinking, "Geez, imagine, imagine loving your job that much." It's like, you know, a dream come true. Well, so far as I was concerned, nobody really liked the job. It wasn't, right. You couldn't like your job. It was, it was work. It's like if it was, if it was, if, if it, it was fun, it, it would be called fun. fun. It would be called fun. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I really was. It was. It was. It was an, it, amazing what they were doing, and, and and the passion really struck me. And uh, as they started to get a little bit busier and the business started to take off for them. It started to get a wee bit stressful for them because they all had full-time jobs still um, and none of them had yet taken the huge plunge or gamble of, of, of giving up their full-time job. Um, so I basically said to Kev, look, they, they were having difficulties making, fulfilling orders and getting, literally getting bottles packaged and labelled or whatever. I was like, dude, I'll give you a hand, I'll help you. I'm not doing anything. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. So why wouldn't I help? You know, that's what you do. You help your mates when they're, right. uh, when they're doing something. So um, spent a little bit of time, help, came down to, to help them paint the distillery when they, uh, when, when they got it first and um, started getting a call a little bit more frequently saying, oh, Rowdy, can you come and give us a hand again? And it was like, I was only too happy to. It was, you know, that's what mates are for, really. Um, they invited me to a Christmas gathering that they were having, and I suddenly realized that each of them had done a, a bit of distilling themselves, but, you know, none of them really seemed um, that that was their focus, that that's the part of the business that they wanted to do. And I sort of spotted an, a, a gap and kind of spoke to them and said, lads, you, you, things are getting busier here. You're going to need somebody to focus on the distilling only. Can I do it? Can, can you give me a chance at it? And they were, well, she said, I know already. Can you do it? And I was like, you guys learned, so I can. Um, I went and I did a, a, a distilling course and um, did a lot of on-the-job learning. and took to it like a duck to water, Great. loved it instantly, um, absolutely loved it. I'd be kind of a, you know, maybe a logical process driven kind of person anyway. So, um, and there's a lot of process required in, right. in, 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 a, in a distillery. So um, it fitted and I've, you know, I've got a good sense of smell, I've got a, a big nose and a sensitive smell that I inherited from my mom and her side of the family. So, um, and I've always been interested in tastes and flavors and um, come, come from a long line of enthusiastic drinkers. So, uh, you know, everything seemed to fall into place and it was just right place, right time, I guess. Great. So here I am all these years later. So I was talking with Geraldine and she told me how she would bring in her botanicals and you would do the distilling. And then I also heard that there was something special about this bottle. Now, I've had this bottle. Uh, Donald gave this to me uh, last year when we had him on the, po on the podcast, and it, I, I, I remember it being phenomenal. Um, but I also thought, how is it a pink gin? Do they actually use rose petals? And uh, the answer is... The answer is yes. Yeah. That's, um, and and how, it, how it actually came about was very much a, a sort of a personal story. Um, first of all, 
I guess I'm the luckiest distiller in the world. I get to work with, uh, with Geraldine, who brings in the most amazing, fresh, wild botanicals and the flavors that I get to work with are absolutely fantastic. Um, and I get to do it in such a way that there's very little pressure on me for, um, you know, there's very little commercial pressure for efficiencies or yields or whatever. The focus I'm allowed to put totally on taste. So all of Great. our cut points, we've got really tight cut points. I want to make sure there's absolutely no sort of tailsy tastes coming through. Um, and it just means it, it, it's, it's a joy to work with. I don't have to worry about... Um, I don't have to worry about the numbers or the bills or whatever. Somebody else looks after that. My my focus and direction has always been... I need that job. <laughs> I don't want to focus on the, the bills or the numbers anymore. So, yeah, I guess it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to be in that situation. Um, and on to the rose gin, like, like I think Geraldine has spoken you through the process of how we went from the seasonals to developing the wild botanical to give the, the trade something that was consistent and available all year round. Right. Um, not long after we launched it, um, my little brother was getting married and um, I decided to, to we should make a batch of gin just for his wedding. Wow. Um, just, you know, because I could. <laughs> and my mum had passed away a couple of years previously at a, at a, at a terribly young age. Um, and we were very close and we were good mates. And uh, we, as a family, we were all uh, very close. She was great crack and she was always the life and soul of every party. And so we had this family wedding coming up within a couple of years of her passing. And you know, she was going to be desperately missed at it. So as well as making uh, a, a gin specifically for the occasion, that I got my brother Paco and his wife-to-be Gina come down to go foraging with Geraldine so that we could say, you know, you helped to make this gin for the special occasion. That's and, pretty cool. Go and get some roses from Mum's garden. Mum's name was Rose. Oh. So grab some roses from Mum's garden, bring them, and we'll include them so she can be with us in spirit on the day. Uh, Literally in, in, in spirit. spirit. That's great. Um, so yeah, it went down really well. People loved it. Um, uh, uh, the staff at the hotel loved it. Um, I, I, I figured, you know, when I was distilling the, the, the following day after we had left it infused overnight, I could really get the... I know it sounds like a corny story or whatever, but I could smell the roses coming from Mom's garden um, as the almost predominant aroma in the distillery that day. And I figured we're on to something here. And I went back to the guys, the founders, to say, lads, you know, I've got something. Let's make a rose gin. And they were like, you know, I got a two-word answer. The second word was off. <laughs> um, and it was like, Come on, Rowdy, focus. We've just launched our Wild Botanical Gin. We can't make a different gin every day. I know you'd like to, but, you know, keep focus. But, I, you know, I knew I was onto something. Um, so I started harvesting the roses from Mom's garden. But my dad didn't even realize that there was no flowers on the rose plants um, because every time they'd appear, I'd go and whip them out. Um, and, and to this day, my little sister now lives in the house, uh, Yvonne, carefully tends to the rose bushes and, and gives me a call several times throughout the year and I get like baskets of fresh rose petals and I get them down to the distillery and I get them infused into alcohol, make a tincture of them and I so there's a little bit of rosy roses go into every batch of gin. That's and, fantastic. Uh, I wanted 
I wanted it to be a rose gin that was naturally sweet. I didn't want to make a, I didn't want to make a confected, you know, almost artificial. Everything we do here in Glendalough is natural and pure. So I don't, I don't want people to look at it and think, oh, another pink gin. It's it, it, you know, another. Like I've never seen it, one before. It's a rose gin that happens to be pink. And it's got lovely um, Turkish delight. Are you familiar with Turkish yes. delight? Yeah. Yes. Well, it's always chocolate rose. And you can smell the rose on the on the on the nose. Rose on the nose. It's oh, beautiful. Okay. That's very nice. You get a long. It's like very smooth, and then at the very end of the finish, there's a little bit. A little bit of, the, yeah, there's a little bit of pink peppercorns added mm -hmm. to it as well to give a nice little spice. And, uh, you know, it's un unquestionably still a gin. There's juniper, juniper notes are strong there also. Mm. That's fantastic. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, when I made it, I expected it to be a limited release, you know, maybe one or two batches and a and bit then it of did a really flash well. in the pan. And it's like, yeah, I, it, it's... Uh, so how many years have you had this out now? We've had it for four years now. I think wow. maybe going on, almost going on five. Um, yeah, and it's a real, it's a real pleasure, and it's an honour to be able to walk into a bar and see see it behind the bar. Yeah. Hey, mum, slaunch it. That's awesome. That's, She'd uh, be so proud. Yeah, well, she would. Next, we'll go downstairs, and you can show me where you make all this magic happen. Fantastic. Look all forward right. to it. Alright, so now you've brought me down to the distillery area. Um, what's this bad boy all about? This is Kathleen. Kathleen is our gin still, the hardest um, working thing in the distillery. Um, 500 litre pot still, pot, uh, hybrid still, pot and cotton. So we've got four replication plates. Um, we've got a very, uh, we're charged up there ready to go tomorrow morning. Got a very intense. Uh, Juniper, okay. juniper heavy charge in there um, that will macerate overnight and yeah basically the, the, the distillation will rise up through up through the pot through the four rectification plates in the column there's about a ton of copper at the very top of the column there uh, through the uh, condensed column um, Airlift spirit safe there. We've direct. Uh, we've got a, a, a simple ball lever here that we direct for our heads, hearts, and tails. Great. Um, we've got very, very, uh, very, very tight cut points. Um, it's all done purely sensory, so Great. the yield for every batch is slightly different. Um, and yeah, it's it, it's tasty smell, and we basically simply move that lever to redirect the flow of the liquid. We get, you know, it comes out in the wash at approximately, you know, 430 odd bottles, uh, 70 CL bottles per batch. Mm -hmm. and we run this still twice a day. And what are you going to say? Uh, this is after, uh, for our, our rose gin, post distillation, the isolated uh, gin, it comes off the still at about 89%, uh, goes back into this tank, and uh, rose petals, more rose petals added to it. To, to further um, infuse and, and, and enhance the rose flavour and add a touch of natural colour to it as well. Some macerator there, so that spins around. So we'll leave it rose petals for macerating for uh, about two days. 
Uh, again, it will be ending on paste. Um, and then we drop it off that, transfer it into IBC, and send it off to the bottom plan. Fantastic. And over here we have... We have our whiskey setup. Ah, so, whiskey setup. Yeah, uh, we have our wash still. We've only got two whiskey stills. We're a bit uh, tight space-wise, uh, so we do triple distillation. Um, uh, wash still and then twice through the spirit still. Okay. So, um, Further behind, we've got our uh, 500 liter uh, brew house. There's a fermentation setup that gets pumped upstairs. Um, we ferment for approximately four days. One, one brew will require two washes, so there's only a 250 liter still. Okay. Um, two washes, two intermediates, one final. Um, it's it's ultra small batch. This is the uh, spirit safe. Yes, um, so the wash still, we've got no cut, so it's, it's, it's basically you're, you're, you're taking all of the distillate from that back into the second distillation, and then we've got the center cut and the four shots of things. Again, similar to the gin still, it's a simple uh, ball valve, and it's again, it's all on the sensory basis. Fantastic. Okay, so what do we have here? We have, as they say now, for something completely different. We've recently launched a uh, seven-year-old single malt, finished in the rare and horrendously expensive and lots of fun to work with Japanese Mizunara. Wow. It's an amazing wood. I can smell that Mizunara on it's, Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's incredibly expensive. It's, 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 it's no fun to work with, I won't lie. It's um, incredibly porous, quite leaky. Um, very unpredictable. I've heard that. I've heard that about it. Yeah, it's it's it's. Um, it, I suppose what makes it difficult to work with is also uh, uh, what makes it so good for whiskey because it, it, you've got a huge amount of interaction between the liquid and the wood. Yeah. It's constantly breathing in and out and extracting amazing exotic kind of on the nose. Yeah, nice, uh, uh, yes. This chocolate orange almost flavors. Um, and kind of like a maybe a grapefruit, I think. A little bit. You get from the yeah, and the tasting notes are so personal as well, aren't they? Wow. That doesn't taste like how it smells. No, it's very it's surprising, isn't it? This is for me. This is a uh, kind of chocolate finish on the late finish. Yeah, you, are you picking up any like some small, you know, some sandalwood, a little bit, mm -hmm. a little bit maybe on the on the outward breath, a bit of coconut. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it, so it was like a chocolate coconut at the end, the the finish finish. Yeah, yeah. It's long and it's this is a for me. It's I think eating whiskey, isn't it? This is sitting your sitting your library, or your your you know in front of the fire and. I have a good think about it. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. And it's not. It's still finishing. I'm getting, like, the longer I let it sit, the more chocolate and coconut kind of burnt marshmallow. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's different. We wanted to do something different. I think we, uh, didn't nail it this. Good on you. It tastes great. Slanja. Slanja. And thank you so much for the tour today and, and taking the time to tell us all about your news jam. It's been an absolute it's pleasure. We're thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming. Thanks for watching, guys. It's
That does it for today's show. To read notes on this episode or learn more about our guests, please visit BarrelRoomChronicles.com. Want to interact with the show or have questions for our guests? Then ask them on our socials or send us an email through our website. Or better yet, leave us a voicemail on our website and your recording might be played in our new Speakeasy segment. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. If you really liked it and you want to show your support, buy us a whiskey through our Kofi site at ko-fi.com slash BRC or become an exclusive member of the Barrel Room Parlor, where you'll get exclusive content not seen anywhere else. If you work in the whiskey or spirits industry or just have a deep passion for whiskey and want to share your spirits journey, register to be a guest through our website. Last but not least, please enjoy your spirits responsibly. Thanks for joining me. Until next time, Salangeva. Barrel Room Chronicles is a production of First Real Entertainment and is distributed by Spotify for podcasters and is available on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Amazon, and wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts.